What does multiple myeloma, hypercholesterolemia, cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, and cellular rejection all have in common? If you don't know the answer, keep listening. You're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Sergio Torloni, Medical Director of Transfusion Medicine at Mayo Clinic in Arizona. Dr. Torloni has a specialty in apheresis and stem cell research. He is Director of the Coagulation Laboratory, and he's on the cutting edge of pioneering medicine in this area. If our listeners didn't guess, apheresis is what all those diseases have in common. Today we're discussing new applications for apheresis that most of us probably don't know about. We're very glad to talk to you today, Dr. Torloni. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So what techniques come under the term apheresis? First of all, apheresis comes from the Greek word phoresis, which means to take away, separate by force, or remove. The techniques that come under that are all those that separate blood into its multiple components and removes one of the fractions. Apheresis entails the physical separation and selective removal of blood components, such as plasma, platelets, white cells, and red cells, for therapeutic purposes. The uh, most common procedure is plasmapheresis, which removes plasma, and it's used for diseases such as Guillain-Barre and myasthenia gravis, more commonly known. Others include antibody-mediated diseases that may be involved in rejection of uh, solid organ transplants. So when most of us trained or practice hospital medicine, we're all very familiar with plasmapheresis, but everything has really grown and changed enormously. It's more than just separating out the plasma. So what are some of the changes in the technology today that allows us to do this safely? Uh, that's a very good question. First, we must divide apheresis into two parts. First is therapeutic which is the part that I deal with more directly. We can remove plasma, we can remove white cells, which we can use for stem cell transplants. We do uh, peripheral blood stem cell collection, which allows us to obtain enough uh, stem cells for uh, bone marrow transplant, be it autologous or allogeneic. We can do red cell exchanges for patients who have sickle cell disease or acute malaria. Cytophoresis involves the removal of white cells and platelets, as well as red cells, of course, all the cellular components of blood. A therapeutic leukoreduction involves removing cells in acute leukemia in patients who have leukostasis syndromes. Thrombocytoreduction is used to remove platelets in patients who have very high platelet counts and are at risk of having thrombosis. These are acute procedures that need to be done right away. The other part of apheresis involves donor's apheresis, where we use the same technology or variants of the same technology to collect platelets, plasma, and red cells. And the technology has evolved to a point that nowadays where we can take multiple components from one donor. For instance, we can take two units of red cells, which have a very high hematocrit, especially from a blood group O donors that are always in demand. We can also have a mixture of components. We can take a unit of blood and platelets, or we can take double platelets and plasma, all from one donor. So this technology has revolutionized the blood donation as well as the therapeutic applications of the same technology. So 10, 15 years ago, we were nowhere near this, were we? No, we were not, especially in a donor area. The technology has evolved. The basics are always the same. We had two types of technologies 10 years ago, intermittent flow and continuous flow. Mm -hmm. Intermittent flow would be collecting a certain volume of blood, whole blood, separating that into different components, keeping the fraction that we want 
be it for therapeutic or donation purposes, and returning the rest in increments of 125 or 250 mLs. Nowadays, all machines are continuous flow apheresis, which means they're continuously processing, bringing in new cells and taking out the cells that are not needed, the fractions of plasma that are not needed. So in terms of the volume being back delivered to the patient, they're actually safer? Well, they're safer. We can make those procedures isovolemic, which means we can keep the patients, especially pediatric patients, we do these procedures with blood primes, and the patient will not feel any problems with hypovolemia. Is there any risk to the patient at all? And are patients and clinicians aware of how well tolerated this procedure may be? Well, the procedure should be well known to most clinicians, although sometimes I believe that it's underutilized. There are risks of, like with any other procedure, certainly air embolism is one of them. Although having been approximately 18 years in this specialty, I've never been involved with the case directly. We just have to make sure that since we're processing very large volumes of blood, there's no air leak in the machine and the circuit is intact, so there's no contamination. All the kits are single-use disposable kits for apheresis and there is no risk of bacterial contamination as long as the kit is intact. So if your patient has some of the diseases that we discussed and we're going to discuss, this treatment is more available at a tertiary referral center or a large teaching hospital as opposed to a community hospital, or are they doing it in the community as well? Well, they're doing it in the community as well. There are certain companies that offer this. They will have machines at certain hospitals that they'll just send the personnel when needed. But it's available at most tertiary centers and uh, universities in general. Now, how is this technique combined with giving medications? Well, we try to time them apart, depending what the procedure is, of course. If the patient is getting IVIG, for instance, or some other drug, we will time the plasmapheresis as far away as possible from the time they're getting the medication. We will remove, uh, during a plasmapheresis, a very large portion of what is in the plasma of the patient, and uh, most medications that are albumin-bound will be removed from the intravascular space. Do keep in mind that most medications distribute equally within the system. There will be third spacing. Most of the medications will not stay in the intravascular space. It will distribute evenly through the cell population, although we do remove quite a large amount of what is in the intravascular space. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Sergio Torloni, and we're discussing new applications for apheresis. I understand it has a role in UC and Crohn's disease, which is very interesting. Can you tell us something about that? Well, actually, there's some studies going on right now about UC and Crohn's disease. It is not a common use right now. It is not in one of the categories of uh, ASSA, which I'll get into in a little while. Some studies abroad have shown some effect in uh, UC and Crohn's disease, but the studies are ongoing in the United States, and uh, I do not have additional information at this time. So tell us about some of the other uses that it has that is approved in the United States. We have photophoresis. We have lipid absorption with the liposorb machine, which uh, removes LDL cholesterol from patients who were not responding to statin therapy or have a familial homozygous or heterozygous LDL receptor deficiency. These patients depend on these procedures for their lives. We will maintain these patients with procedures every two weeks in general, and they'll go on to live a normal life. So tell us how these patients might present when the call comes into you that this is what they're going to use it for. Many people have elevated cholesterol. Some of them may not respond to agents, but what type or how severe would it have to be before a physician would consider something like this or refer him to a center that does this? 
Basically, the patients will see their cardiologist, and these are patients who have been unresponsive to maximum statin therapy and have proven LDL receptor deficiency, be it homozygous or heterozygous. This is an FDA-approved indication for liposorb, which is LDL cholesterol apheresis. And this is quite effective in decreasing the LDL cholesterol for a significant amount, up to 80% after procedure. So it may improve their quality of life and decrease the risk factors for cardiovascular disease. Is that correct? Certainly. We have one patient here in the Mayo Clinic who has been treated by this technology for a number of years outside Mayo Clinic and now at Mayo Clinic, and he has a normal lifestyle, rides a motorcycle. Actually, there was a documentary (laughs) done on this. Okay, so you've seen it being used that way. Are you able to say that it decreases the risk for heart disease? Have studies looked at that? Certainly. Studies have shown the decrease for heart diseases. These are patients who normally would have myocardial infarctions at an early age, which is the case for our patient we've seen here. And this allows them to have a normal lifestyle, although controlled diet and medication are a big part of that. This allows them to live a much extended life, which would not be possible without this technology. Now, what about platelet phoresis? How is that used? What have you seen? Well, platelet phoresis, we need to divide that into categories. Again, donor collection, where we collect that at the donor center. We connect a donor to a machine, and you can take one or two platelet units in combination with other blood components, such as what's needed for the day, plasma, or be it red cells. We can collect a variety of components together with the new technology, and this has made our life wonderful for the blood center, where we can actually see what our inventory is like, and we need more O cells today, so we will collect uh, double red cells on broad group O patients. For the therapeutic standpoint, uh, we do remove platelets using similar technology with different machines, which uh, reduces the platelet count significantly. We just recently, a couple nights ago, had a patient who came in with 1.4 million platelets. We're able to drop this to 400,000. Now, what about Guillain-Barre and some of the antibody-mediated diseases? How is it used then? Basically, Apheresis, plasmapheresis, is used for any antibody-mediated diseases. I must first let you know about the categories of this that we have. The American Society of Apheresis has come up with categories for the disease, which are being followed in general by healthcare centers and mostly insurance companies. There's four categories, number one to four. Category ones are diseases where apheresis is a standard and acceptable, either as a primary therapy or valuable first-line adjunct therapy. Perception is based on well-controlled trials and a broad, non-controversial published experience. These diseases include TTP, thrombotic thrombocytic purpura, hyperviscosity, and malconogamopathies, acute demyelinating polyradiculopathy, also known as Guillain-Barre syndrome, chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyradiculopathy, myasthenia gravis, good pasture syndrome, mm-hmm. hypercholesterolemia, and uh, cryoglobulinemia. Category two are diseases where apheresis is generally accepted but supportive or adjunct to more definitive therapies. Randomized studies are available for some diseases but not for others, and the literature contains only a small series of informative cases. These include acute demyelinating diseases of the CNS, such as ADEM, Eaton-Lambert syndrome, ABO-incompatible renal transplants, cross-matching compatible renal transplants, phytanic acid storage disease, such as Refson's disease. Those two categories you told us about, one and two, have established random clinical trials, or there's some randomized clinical trials to have some evidence-based medicine. What about the other indications? The other indications fall in category three and four, 
Category 3 will be diseases uh, where there's a suggestion of benefit, but there's only anecdotal reports or a small number of cases included in that are disorders which control trials have produced conflicting results or there are too few numbers included. These include drug overdose, recurrent focal segmental glomerular sclerosis, primary focal segmental glomerular sclerosis, hemolytic uremic syndrome, what used to be known as stiff man and now is called stiff person syndrome, <laughs> politically correct, and systemic lupus erythematosus, SLE, other than lupus nephritis. And category four are things that trials have been shown not to benefit at all, such as psoriasis, systemic lupus, ITP, schizophrenia, and the things of that kind. Dr. Trelawney, I want to thank you for being my guest today. It's been delightful speaking with you. It's been a pleasure to speak with you, too. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dr. Sergio Torloni of the Mayo Clinic, and we've been discussing new applications for apheresis that you may not know about. And I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thank you for listening.